one of the hardest things in life is discouragement that comes through the form of disappointment or comes from a, a disappointment. You work hard, but you try to push through. You try to keep going. Some of God's, I want to say best people, but some of the people that we learn about in the Bible, uh, some of these people struggled with, with this same thing, this discouragement because of a disappointment in some form. And then they go off mission or they abandon their faith. One of these people is in the New Testament, and we meet him in a desperate moment in John chapter 21. And I think it's important to look intently at this story, to look deep. I don't know if uh, you've probably caught on. We've read a lot of scripture this morning, and uh, that actually wasn't my plan. Um, I, didn't, I didn't plan everything outside of my sermon, but it, it, uh, it went into it so well, and so I thought, you know, we should definitely have all this, and and then I'm not going to preach very long, and then this morning I preached way too long, like, so actually I just started hacking stuff, so you're, you're probably getting like half the sermon of what I preached this morning, so if you're, if you're upset with that, um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you, you won't be, I'll probably end up talking that long anyway, but anyway, um, everything that we've read is, uh, is a, uh, based on the same idea, um, they went back, we read Ezekiel, of God being the shepherd, and then John 10, Jesus being the good shepherd, and then this interaction with a man named Peter, one of his disciples, um, about what he will do next, and that's our story for today, and then after I finish, then there's going to be more reading, and it all is based around this one story. If you read a book, and let's say the book's 10 chapters, and uh, today I feel like my sermon would be like chapter 7, it would be the climax maybe of the story, um, but everything else was what we've been reading uh, before and what we'll read after to really put this into perspective. So I'm actually doing something a little different this morning. Usually I, I, I take a big block of scripture and I read three or four verses and then I talk about it and then uh, read more and then talk. And I'm going to read all of it this time. We're going to read the entire story straight through. It's 17 verses. It's going to take a minute, but I just want you to just sit back and relax and listen to the story. Try not to fall asleep though, because I can't say that didn't happen first service. Uh, it's warm in here. Maybe that was what it was. Anyway, John, 7, John 21, starting at verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of, Je of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They fished all night. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw fire, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to, to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, uh, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, this is a, a, a pretty popular Bible story. I've heard a few sermons preached on it. I've, I think I've preached on it at least a couple times. Uh, this, is a, this is one of the big ones. I know the whole Bible is great, but there's just those stories in there that, that we, just, we, we want to stay focused on because they, they have so much meaning to them. Now, this is one of those stories, but there's a lot of details in it. Um, there's ideas of forgiveness and restoration and calling, and, and a lot of people preach it through the, through the theme of love. But you're going to see this morning that they all go together in great detail. But like we've been doing this last month or so, we're going to look at it through the form of a question. And here Jesus asked Peter a very simple question, do you love me? doesn't get much easier than that. But it's such a, a, a simple question, but Peter appears to be frustrated because why would he ask him three times? Why, why did he ask him three times? First Jesus asked, he said, do you love me? And in the, uh, in the original language, in the, the Greek language, it's agape is the word that he used. So Jesus asked Peter, do you agape me or love me unconditionally? That's the word that's used most of the time for God's love for us. It's the perfect love, the unconditional love. All right, no matter what, I will love you. And Jesus asked Peter that. Uh, Jesus says, um, or, or Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, but he used a different word. He used the word phileo, which is uh, we get the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's, our, it's a love from one person to another most of the time. It's a, like a love of friendship. And uh, this, is a, this might be a big deal. Um, I'm going to talk about it quite a bit here, here in a second. Um, but the difference, the unconditional love is God's love for us. It, it doesn't go away no matter what. Now, I think that sometimes we would say, to um, a child, a spouse, a parent, a sibling, we might say, you know, my love for you is unconditional. But I, I, maybe, but I, I don't think it's the same thing. B because there are things that people can do that we love very deeply. There's probably a line somewhere. I don't know, it might be really, really far away. But at some point, there might be a line. And just because we're, we're human, we're, we're, we're not perfect. Um, but anyway, he, he used a different word here. Now, some people say, um, some people have said that Jesus was trying to get Peter to raise his level of commitment, meaning you love me uh, as long as the circumstances are ideal, but when the circumstances get bad, then you don't love me anymore. And, and I think that Jesus desired that. I, I'm pretty, pretty confident in that, but I don't think that's what's happening here. See, the idea falls apart because when he asks the third time, Jesus now says to Peter, do you phileo me? 
Now, I, if you've read anything in the Bible, in the New Testament, anything about Jesus, you'd probably realize very quickly he never lowers the bar. He always raises the bar, raises the standard of commitment. Um, but I think the wording's different here, and there's, there's probably two reasons here. And I have to be honest, I can't tell you for sure which one. These are, these are my theories on why I think he uses different words here. Um, I think the first possibility is that it's just, they're interchangeable. Um, like if, like this morning, if you were in here after we got the heat going, and it felt like it was uh, 112 in here, uh, you, you, someone over here may have said, um, man, it is so hot in here, and, you know, just felt that heat. And then someone else over, over here may have said, man, it's warm in here. Different word. Uh, one, actually, we would say is a more extreme word, hot to warm, but exact same meaning, just the word you chose to use. Maybe that happens here. Uh, again, that's just an option. Or, or the second option, which I really think, based off the whole context, it's probably this, um, but I just wanted to tell you up front, I can't be 100% sure. Jesus is telling Peter to love people the way that he loves him the way that you love God. Our love for people should be the same as our love for God. And, and so he's saying, guess what? It shouldn't be different. What we really need to focus on is this question. Three times, do you love me? Because this is the same question for you and I. Jesus asks us the same question. Do we love him? Three times he says, do you love me? And he says, okay, you do? You say you do? Feed my sheep. Take care of my, my sheep, my lambs, my people. Three different times Jesus says, if you love me, you will care about what I care about or care about who I care about, the people. That's how, that's how I'll know that you love me. You can, you can say it, but are you showing it? And here's how I want you to show it. He told his disciples at another point, a new command I give you, love one another. It wasn't new. It's, it, maybe it was new to them because they're always looking at the rules, and he says, hey, the rules are great. They're perfect. Actually, in John 14 and 15, 23 times Jesus said, or it says, if you love me, then obey my commands. 23 different times in two chapters. So being obedient is definitely important, but it couldn't stop there. We have to care about what Jesus cares about. I think we have a lot of distractions. We have a, have a lot of things that keep us from loving people the way that Jesus would love them. Um, could be things like money, cars, houses. Could be things like um, other, other people. And I mean not that we're loving and caring for the oppressed and the weak and the sick and the poor, um, that we're just spending time and enjoying um, our friends and forget about everyone else. It, it could be sports. I, I love sports. I know they can be a distraction. I think we can use things like money and relationships and sports, and we can try to love people through those. We can spend quality time with people. We can try to reach out, all that stuff. But are those things becoming more important than our love for people and our love for God? Because even if we didn't have all these distractions, I assume back then, 2,000 years ago, there wasn't as many distractions. The question's still the same. And if our options were limited today, where would our hearts be? Would they still be on ourselves, or they would, would they be on God and other people? If we truly love God, if we love Jesus, he's, he's telling him, you have to care about what he cares about. We have to care about who God cares about. I know that some of you maybe have already made the connection from some of the scriptures we read, and you've probably heard some of these stories before, but I think it's necessary to share this anyway. 
Why does Jesus ask Peter three different times, do you love me? He denied him three times. That's the story that was read right before I came up uh, when, um, after, or when, uh, when Jesus had been arrested and was, was going to the cross and, and Peter was kind of keeping his distance and someone said, hey, you know this man, right? And he said, no, I don't know him. Second time, no, you know who he is. I know you were with him. No, I don't know him. Third time before the rooster crows, uh, you, you know, you, you're with this guy. He's, I don't know him. Three times he denied him. I think that's a big part of it, why the question was asked three times for sure. But I think there's something else too. See, at the beginning of this, um, at the beginning of this text, I, I read, I'm not going to read it all again, but basically verses 1 and 2 says, uh, the disciples got together, and then verse 3 it says, um, Peter said, I'm going out to fish, and the other said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they, they, uh, they caught nothing. After, after um, Jesus left, Peter went back to his old way of living. He was a fisherman before things changed, and he went back to life before Jesus. He just gave up on him. Jesus called them to follow him, and, and that wasn't supposed to change because he left. It wasn't supposed to change when he died on the cross, and when he came back, the resurrection, and then he left again. It wasn't supposed to change, but he was discouraged, and I think, I think I would be too. I think all of us would be. See, Peter had confessed Jesus as the Savior, the Son of God, and this, this isn't what he expected. This isn't the outcome he expected. Their expectation was not that Jesus would go and die on the cross and, uh, and bring a spiritual kingdom. They thought that, that Jesus was this guy that was going to come and they were going to be on his team and they were going to overthrow the Roman government and they were going to restore the kingdom, uh, like it, the kingdom of, of, of God, the kingdom of Israel, and the, the, uh, the throne of David, that Jesus would be the new David and would sit on the throne and they would be right there on, on his side. They'd be, they'd be riding with the king. And now this happens. Jesus goes to the cross. So they hide. They hide behind uh, closed doors, worried that, hey, we're going to get killed too. People are going to recognize. They've already recognized us, and we've already had to deny him once. What do we do now? But then they get this excitement because they hear that Jesus is risen. He's back. Now, could you imagine their joy? He's alive. Okay, maybe... Maybe he is coming back, and this time he's going to take out all the enemies. Maybe he was just feeling it out to try to decide who the good guys and the bad guys were. And when he comes back this time, yeah, we're on the good side, and everyone else, yeah, they're dead. Yeah, we're taking those people out. I think they were excited about it. And then he left again, and he went away. He was gone. He was with them. He showed them their wounds. He ate with them, and then he's just gone again. I think the discouragement really set in. So they go back to their old ways. They go back to fishing. And they fished all night and they didn't catch a thing. Now this was hard work. This isn't like, like how, how we go fishing. Uh, just, you know, take the rod and reel and, or you can even put sticks in the ground uh, and put some, uh, some hooks on the, on the string and leave them. I think that's illegal, so don't do that. Um, or throw jugs in, you know. There's a lot of easy ways to fish. They had, to, they had to go out with really heavy nets, throw them into the water, drag the net back up. Anything? Nope. Throw it back in. Over and over, the entire night, throwing out a heavy net, pulling it back up. This was, this was hard fishing. So Jesus asked Peter the hard question. Because if you abandon him, if you abandon Jesus, and if you go fishing all night, or if you waste your life on things that are not important to Jesus, 
you will get to the morning and realize that you've caught nothing, that the net is empty. If we waste our lives on things that don't matter, we're going to get to our, into our li- we're going to get to the end of our lives and realize we've wasted our lives. Jesus doesn't want that. He doesn't want that for Peter. He doesn't want that for us. And so the story says it's morning, and, uh, and the man's standing on the beach, and they didn't know it was Jesus. But I, I, I thought this was kind of a funny interaction. He called out to them, friends, you, you catch anything? Now, if, if you've ever gone fishing for, you know, an hour or three hours or five hours out in a boat, and you're, you're coming back, and, and you just know that they see that we're coming, and you, don't, you just hope everyone's gone. You don't want them to be uh, out near the dock. You don't want someone to say, you catch anything? I mean, that's, that's the worst feeling. Like, no, the water was warm today, or the water was cold, or they just, uh, there was too many boats out. You know, we just come up with excuses of why we didn't catch anything. But he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, there's, again, there's so many details in this story, and I don't want to share everything, but I feel like they're, they're so good. At the time, they would throw their boats, the oar was like mounted on the right side of the boat, they would throw the nets out on the left side of the boat, so now they're throwing the, he says, hey, throw it out on the right side, this isn't normal. Try something different. I'm going to tell you what to try. You ever taken advice from someone about fishing from someone who's not a fisherman? You don't want to hear it. But they did it, and they hauled in a great number of fish. And then Jesus revealed himself. And so what would any person do? You're 100 yards out from the water, and you find out, hey, this is Jesus. So what would you do? You'd put on your coat or your, your robe, you know, and you'd just jump in the water and swim 100 yards. I can't swim 100 yards already sounds terrible. Put, put a heavy robe on, too, and then swim 100 yards. That's what he does. Why does he do it? Why doesn't he just wait till they get in like the rest of them? Because this isn't the first time this miracle happened. It's recorded in Luke chapter 5 and another time, very similar. They weren't catching anything. This is, before the, this is the first interaction with Jesus that, that, uh, that they had, some of them had. And Jesus tells them to go out a little farther and throw, throw the nets, and it worked then too. And so Jesus realized this guy is worth following. Now, uh, or Peter realized that Jesus was worth following, and he became a disciple. He left everything. They, they just left their, their boats and their nets right there, and they followed Jesus. And he says, from now on, you're going to fish for people, and you're going to share the gospel with people. You're going to tell people about the kingdom of God and forgiveness and new life. And now he does it again. Peter was taken back to when he decided that Jesus was worth everything, that he was worth giving everything up for. But when we get discouraged, we can also go back to that moment. We can remember, when was the time in your life when it was like, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus? Maybe you grew up in the church and you don't have that, like, that big moment where you weren't a Christian, then you were, you just grew up this way. But at some point, your faith became your own. At some point in your life, you, you, you just, it just clicked. This is, this is worth everything. This is real. And that's what had happened to him. And so he was taken back to that moment. But does a little discouragement erase whatever reason you had to, to follow Jesus? Does a little discouragement uh, keep us from remembering the freedom that we have from sin and guilt? Does it, does it keep us from remembering that we can live for something bigger than ourselves, something that will last forever? Do you need that reminder? Peter did. 
I, I think we all do all the time. That's why we come to church. That's why we take communion. That's why we sing these songs about, about God's love and the forgiveness that He's offered us. These aren't just to do it for fun. It's to praise Him and to remember what He's done for us. And Peter needed this. The miracle didn't start just when the fish were in the nets. It was keeping the fish out of the nets all night first so that Jesus could remind Peter of his faith. And then it says, Then Peter ran to the shore, and the other disciples joined him. And the text says something else, very, very small. They found there a charcoal fire. The word charcoal is only used twice in the New Testament. In this story right here that we just read, and in the story that Ellie read, when Peter warmed himself in the, in the courts and denied knowing Jesus. Only two times. You can remember smells. We all can. Think about, um, think about uh, the smell of a, of a person that you know. And I don't mean that someone smells bad. I mean, they have a scent. Uh, you could probably close your eyes and take five people that, you're, that you are friends with or your family you're close to. You could probably, this is kind of weird, but you could probably close your eyes and smell a person. And then you could go to the next person and smell. You could probably pick out those people just based off that. You could walk into a room. And you could probably know what room you're in, even if you didn't know. Just maybe it's a, a, a room that uh, you, a family member or, a, you know, your grandparents' house or, um, you know, just you could smell and, and remember things. A childhood memory. I can't describe some of the childhood memory smells that I had, but I, I would know if I smelled them again. I'd be like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of uh, whenever I did this or when I was there. It's hard not to think that there was a reason for this charcoal fire being mentioned at this point, a denial three times, and now, do you love me three times? Jesus was telling him, yes, you failed, but I still want to use you. It's, it's not over. But Peter has to answer this question, do you still love me? There's one more big detail in the story. John says they caught 153 fish, yet when the disciples came to shore, Jesus is already cooking. He's already cooking uh, uh, fish fillets there. Now, where did those come from? Maybe the refrigerator? I don't know. I think Jesus was making a point that they had to focus on their needs. They thought they did, but Jesus showed them that, that he would provide if they would just stay on mission. He provided the 153-plus fish, whatever he had cooking. It was all from him. If you leave Jesus, stop caring about what he cares about, if you go off mission, the next time you think about compromising your integrity, the next time you think about cheating God or his people for personal gain, you'll always end up with an empty net. And so he asked him, do you love me more than these? These what? Now some people have said that he's talking about the other disciples. I don't, think, I don't think Jesus was much into the, the popularity contest thing, like, do you love me more than they love me? Because it just didn't, doesn't sound right. I think he's saying, do you love me more than these fish, these 153 fish? Uh, is, was it worth it? Was it worth leaving the mission? Was it worth focusing on, your, on yourself instead of on him? Jesus called him, he gave him new life, and he followed him, and, and until he got discouraged, and then he just quit, and it wasn't worth it anymore. And I think he had to answer that question first. Do you love me more than you love what you're doing? What's, what's bigger? I think Jesus asked us the same question. Maybe not about fish. But what's the thing 
that, that might keep you from giving everything to Jesus? What's the thing that he would ask you, do you love me more than you love? I don't know, fill in the blank. Feed my sheep is not about working. It's about living, uh, uh, living this life on a mission with Jesus. Peter still had a spot on the team. He still had a spot in the family if he wants it. People don't have to feel like their lives are ruined uh, or over because of their mistakes. And I think Jesus is really pressing hard here. He wants Peter to not answer the question three times, but to hear the question three times. Because the answer determines the relationship going forward. What kind of relationship is this going to be? Are you going to love me until I leave again? And until uh, you get discouraged and until things don't go the way and then you're just gone? Or is this unconditional? Because I need it to be unconditional. I mean, think about how the church spread. It went from Jesus through the disciples to, uh, you know, to the people that they shared the gospel with, and it multiplied. And over 2,000 years, the love of God, the gospel of Jesus has spread because it started with Jesus and went through Peter and the disciples and on and on. And so for us today, are we going to share the gospel with, with other people? Are we going to share it with the community? Are we going to share it with our family and our friends? Are we going to worry about our own stuff? Because then that's going to be empty for you, and it's going to be empty for everyone else that doesn't hear the gospel. This is hard. We're distracted. We have so much going on. I get it. But this is that important that we have to decide, do we love Jesus more than anything else? Because that's what he needs. That's what other people need. They need us to know, to know this and to believe it and to live it out so that they can have this new hope as well. Jesus loved Peter for sure, but he had to know, did Peter love Jesus? He gave it all. Jesus gave everything his life. He provided the fish. He filled the net, just like he provided the sacrifice on the cross through the form of himself. His love is not in question. But how would you answer that? How would you, how would you answer it? How would it really look when you consider what you care about? When Jesus asks you, do you love me? Let's pray. Father, um, another hard question. I thank you that we've, we got to see how it played out uh, from the ver very beginning all the way back um, uh, from the beginning of time and in the Old Testament to hear from the prophets and, and hear uh, of you being a, a shepherd, someone who wants to lead us and protect us and care for us and meet our every need um, because of your love for us. I thank you for the story of Jesus being the good shepherd and telling us what that means and what that looks like and then to see how it actually live, uh, how it plays out in real life with Peter, just like it, it will with us. And so I pray for each of us to focus on you and to recognize your love and share that with those who need to hear it. We thank you for the hope of new life that you've shown us through your son. In Jesus' name we pray.